Ashland, Oregon. I am Pleiadian Emissary of Light, Caroline Ra. Thank you all for joining with us today. Welcome to Spirit of the Dawn. We are in for a very special show today as I am being joined by my good friend, Shepard Hoodwin. Shepard and I previously co-created a series of interviews focused on the Michael teachings. Michael is a causal playing group entity that teach how we set up our lives for each lifetime. Shepard is an excellent channel of Michael, offering Michael chart readings, plus intuitive readings, healing work, past life regressions, and channeling coaching. He is the author of several books, including Journey of Your Soul, Loving from Your Soul, Growing Through Joy, and Enlightenment for Nitwits. Shepard is an international speaker, sharing his expertise on the Michael teachings and the evolution of the soul. We have so much that we will be sharing with you today, and I am excited to welcome to Spirit of the Dawn, Shepard Hoodwin. Shepard, thank you so much for joining with us today. Oh, it's great to be with you always, Caroline. This is fun. Wow, there's so much to cover and there's so many questions I have and so many things I want to discuss with you. And one of the big things that I'd like to talk about, because it's one of my favorite subjects, is soul contracts, how we choose to grow in each lifetime, how they relate to the Michael teachings. And uh, I'd love to discuss soul contracts because I think it's something, a fascinating subject. It is, it is. So um, to frame this, in a larger context, uh, we plan our lifetimes often in great detail. The older the soul, the more in detail you tend to plan your lifetimes. Because when you're first starting out, you haven't done much of anything yet, and so everything looks interesting, and you can be a little more haphazard and just kind of spin the wheel and see what comes up. But then as you're finishing your time on the physical plane, uh, you are examining what have I already done in this grand cycle and what is left that I haven't done yet. And so you begin to plan in more detail. It's like, okay, well, I, I've noticed uh, with the help of your guides pointing it out to you perhaps that uh, I have some uh, empty spaces here in my evolution, some blind spots that I need to work on. And so you do something called making agreements, which is, the Michael teachings term for contracts with other souls to help you to accomplish those things that you want to accomplish. And so, for example, if you've already made an agreement with another soul to be your mother in this lifetime, you might sit down on the astral plane and work out exactly how do you want to try to help each other. And so you might say, well, I'm really good at fun and spontaneity and, and mom, you're not so good at that. So I'm going to agree to help you with that as much as I can. And you're really good at being organized and orderly, and I'm terrible at that. And so you're going to help me with that. And even though once you're here on the physical plane, you've consciously forgotten that you made those agreements, if, the, if you are listening to your essence, your heart, basically, your higher self, and if your mother is also, you are going to fulfill those agreements. And so sometimes in channeling sessions, people will ask, well, what is my agreement with so-and-so? And you find out, yes, that's, that's really what we're already doing. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you can also abdicate agreements, which means you choose not to fulfill them. 
and that is perfectly okay. Uh, if uh, your life has taken a different course and it's no longer practical or useful to do a, an agreement, that that's fine to do. Or let's say you've made an agreement to mate with someone, but the person turned out unexpectedly to become uh, a raging alcoholic. And so you would be quite justified in saying, okay, we're not going to do this agreement in this lifetime. Let's take a rain check for a future lifetime. So we come in with a whole slew of soul level agreements and they're not sacred. They don't have to be fulfilled, but it means that we've done some pre-planning. It's sort of like if you um, are planning a trip to Paris you might sit down with the, with the travel books ahead of time and give some thought, make some plans, make some agreements um, about what you're going to do there. You might make agreement with, agreements with souls who live in Paris and say, hey, you know what? We haven't met in this lifetime yet. Let's try to run into each other at the Louvre. And so you may um, meet that person. You may not, but you may make that agreement ahead of time. And so just as you might uh, uh, plan a trip, you plan your whole trip to the physical plane. Shepard, would this also explain why sometimes our relationships <laughs> with close ones, with family, are, aren't always pleasant? Do we choose challenges sometimes? If you have karma with someone that you are feeling quite um, anxious about checking off your list because it's weighing on you heavily, then that anxiety will increase when you are in the vicinity of that person with whom you have the karma. Let's give an extreme example. Let's say that um, you murdered that soul in a past lifetime. And their agreement with you is that they're going to murder you you may feel a sense of foreboding about that because you know that it's on your agenda and it's not going to be pleasant. On the other hand, if you're, especially if you're a more advanced soul, you might say, let's figure out a way to let me pay back this karma in a positive way. So I will make an agreement with you to save your life. And maybe you already had it in your plan that, uh, you are going to deal with a life-threatening illness. And so I make a plan then to come in as a doctor or healer of some kind. And for some reason that I consciously cannot understand, I feel profoundly impelled to try to help you survive. I do everything in my power. Maybe I don't charge you for my services, but I feel like this is something I am compelled to do. And so there is this, um, this pressure behind karma because it's an imbalance, an imbalance of energy, and it weighs on you until you resolve it. So that's an extreme example of an agreement, in this case an agreement to repay a karma that is not pleasant. Um, you might also have an agreement with someone to teach you something that you need to learn. So, for example, if you've gone through several lifetimes where you were very upset because you didn't get love and approval from your parents and you wanted to learn how to accept that, how to uh, be happy even if you're not getting the approval that you want and just to let go of that, then you may choose parents 
whose nature it is to not easily give their approval. And that can be very pleasant, unpleasant while you're railing against it. But then when you have the realization, when you wake up, when you go, aha, you cannot get blood out of a turnip. These are people who cannot give approval, maybe because they didn't get approval as children, or maybe because they have other issues, and I'm just going to be okay with that, and I'm going to approve of myself anyway. Then you've made peace with that. You may still not like it that they are the way that they are, but you don't feel as um, unfinished about that. So soul contracts contribute to our personal soul's evolution and is, um, and also for helps us, you know, structure what we're doing here and uh, things to look forward to and um, things that we plan on doing. Do groups of people ever have a group soul contract? Oh, yes. Yes. So <coughs> I make, make, uh, agreements with several people to do a task together. And in the Michael teachings, we define various kinds of groupings that may work together over many lifetimes. And so, for example, there may be a group of four, which is called a quadrate, or a group of six or eight or seven or three. And they may be working on a particular task together um, that they are all interested in achieving. One of the Michael channels said that the four Beatles were part of a quadrate, that they had agreements to do something together. They didn't always get along with each other. They didn't always like each other, and then they split up. But they obviously did accomplish something together that interested them. So the agreements are the mechanisms by which you, you just make a schedule ahead of time, like this is... This is how we're going to do this thing that we want to do. You're going to do this. I'll do that. It's a, um, what's the term? It's uh, a, uh, an assignment of tasks, you might say. And then um, we can create soul contracts also as we go along. Is that true? Right. So uh, none of us are 100% just on the physical plane when we're alive. There's always a part of us, often a large part of us, that remains on the astral plane, which is where we're 100% in between lifetimes. And especially when we're asleep at night, we're not focused on physical activity. We are often focused on the astral plane. And we uh, may often be hobnobbing with all of our soul friends, uh, some of whom may be with us here on the physical plane. And we're making up some plans on the fly because nothing is carved in stone. There's a lot of chaos on the physical plane. People are making uh, free will choices all the time that can change the terrain of what we were expecting. And so at night, often we are talking with other souls and we're saying, okay, this is where we are now. What should we do about this? And you can make an agreement on the fly. And let's say that you before your lifetime, we call these prenatal agreements, made nine made agreements. That's the average. Uh, so there are nine souls that you vetted to possibly be a husband or wife or longtime uh, partner. And it turned out that none of these people were available or worked out. And that can happen because they have agreements with other people. They maybe ended up moving to Timbuktu 
Or like I mentioned, they may have become very dysfunctional, like a drug addict and you don't want to be with them. And you've checked them all off your list. There's just nobody around with whom you have a mate agreement. And then you run into someone else that you had been very happily married to in three past lifetimes, but you did not expect to run into this person in Erie, Pennsylvania, where you unexpectedly got a job offer. And there that person is, and that person is single. And so you go, hey, we get along great. Why don't we make another mate agreement on the fly? It's not a prenatal mate agreement, but it's just as good. You've vetted it. You can see this, this could work. The most important thing in making any agreement is, is this aligned with each of our life tasks? So for example, if you've planned your lifetime to live in China for your whole life, and I have planned my lifetime to live in South America for my whole life, maybe everything else about being mated or doing something else together would be fantastic. But it isn't aligned because we're not planning to be in the same place. So we will not make an agreement. But if our plans change, then we might make a postnatal agreement. And in terms of um, making agreements as your lifetime goes along, we can also <coughs> cancel agreements, something I'm, I like to do. We can cancel agreements. Um, so let's talk about that process um, of saying, well, I want to cancel this one. And uh, what's that like? Well, you're just seeing that it's not working out or it's not going to work out. And so um, there could be a soul in your life that you are very close to, that you absolutely adore. But in this lifetime, that person um, has some profound issues that there's just not in alignment with you to deal with. They're draining you of energy. They're making you unhappy. And it's just, you know, beyond your pay grade. It's something that you cannot deal with. And so you can simply say, um, well, I'm going to pass on this one. If you get your act together uh, later, contact me. And that's perfectly fine. One of the really gorgeous things about the Michael teachings is the emphasis on choice, on free will, on freedom. You might say it's the most libertarian of all um, spiritual teachings that I've run across because they teach that <clears throat> we're here to learn how to make choices and that no matter what anyone else wants us to do, even our spirit guides, um, we are, are the ones who are going to have to live with our choices and we are entitled to make the choices that we want to make. Now, if we're smart, we will take everyone else's feedback into consideration. We will do our research. We will consider everyone else's opinion, including those of our guides, and we will ask, well, why do you think I should do this? But in the end, you make the choice that works for you. And if you want to say, look, this agreement is not going to work for me, um, that's fine. Now, on the other hand, you, it would be perfectly valid for you to say, um, I'm going to trust spirit on this one. They're really pushing it. I'm not feeling it at the moment. I'm not liking this at the moment, but maybe I'm going to grow from this. Maybe I'm going to end up saving another person's life or changing the course of history even. So I'm going to go on trust on this. But 
ideally you take responsibility for that. And if it doesn't work out the way that you hoped it would, you say, okay, I made a choice. I stand by it. Let's move on. Okay. That's really interesting. Well, I think we're ready to move on to another subject that I know that you are very fond of, and you taught me this phrase, energy literacy. Uh, Shepard, yes. what is energy literacy? I believe that the next big frontier in personal growth is for people to become more conscious of the energy of their own energy field, their aura, if you will and to work with it directly. Einstein taught us that everything is made of energy. Matter is simply energy that is moving at a speed that our five senses are designed to recognize as solid. But there is nothing in the universe on any plane of existence that is not some form of energy in a certain speed with a certain vibration. And most important to us is there is an energy that moves slightly faster than that of our solid physical body called our aura that directly impinges on our physical and mental and emotional well-being. And if you are uh, a psychic who perceives energy, you can see in the aura, oh, there's a dark spot here that represents some stuck emotion or someone else's energy is in your field and you want to get rid of that because it's not yours and it's not making you happy, etc. We can all learn to do this. And sometimes you can heal something a lot more quickly if you go right into the energy of it. I know when I first started on my healing path 40 years ago, I did a lot of uh, deep emotional release work. So I'd go back into traumatic events, maybe from my childhood, maybe from past lives, and I would cry and pound pillows and, and, and try to release the, the, the emotions that were weighing me down. And that made me aware, very viscerally, of how much old stuff I was still carrying around, even if most of the time it was not in my conscious awareness. I opened the way for it to come up and it came up. So that was a very useful and educational, but it's also a rather draining, exhausting way of releasing old emotions. It serves a purpose because uh, it's so visceral, it, it's gonna be very real to you when you are first becoming aware of these buried emotions. But what if you became aware of gosh, a lot of anger is coming up in me today. And instead of going and spending an hour uh, screaming and pounding pillows and, and um, catharding in this, this very uh, overt way, what if you could go into meditation and you could say, okay, inner self, show me the energy of this anger and let me just be with it without any judgment, without trying to change it, but just bring the light of my attention into this and offer it the space to communicate with me what it wants to tell me. And you may in five minutes just find that you have this intense shift in this energy and you suddenly feel a lot better. So there's a lot less wear and tear in that. Now, if you're going to a therapist, the therapist would probably want to talk about it. And 
if you need to learn something from that old anger, something you haven't gone over before, something that you need to understand that you don't understand yet, then it would also be good to analyze it, to think about it, to say, what is the lesson of this? But a lot of times those things that are coming up are the same old, same old. They're things that we've dealt with a hundred times. We already understand it. We got the lesson, but we haven't moved out the energy. And so working directly with energy uh, can be uh, very useful. It's not a substitute for any other form of work. Uh, we may have stuck energy that is negatively impacting our physical health. And so working with the energy can really help you to heal the physical ailment much more quickly. But you're not gonna just do that and not go to the doctor, not eat healthy, not um, exercise. You're gonna do all those things. This is one more tool that will uh, help you heal. When I channel Michael for um, uh, people when they're asking questions, they're often asking about issues that have been bothering them deeply and that they can't seem to get a handle on. And so Michael will talk about intellectually what the deeper factors are, whether it's past lives or uh, a belief system that's getting in their way or some kind of an explanation for it that is often quite pr uh, profound and it's transformative to hear that. But at the same time, they're working with the energy of those beliefs, of those stuck energies. And people almost invariably at the end of sessions tell me that they feel changed. They feel much better. And often the problems don't come back. Or if they do come back, they come back um, in the sense that a deeper layer of the same issue was then allowed to surface because one layer uh, was removed. So it can be uh, very powerful to work with energy. The reason Michael is so uh, competent in transforming people's energy field is that they are from the causal plane, which vibrates a lot more quickly than the physical plane. And so when I channel that higher, faster energy into the physical plane, it can zero in on those stuck energies and rapidly move them into what they really want to be, and it speeds up our evolution. Shepard, you just mentioned that the causal plane was very fast. Is that why you're at a high frequency yourself personally to be able to channel, Michael? Well, it, when you're channeling, you are definitely shifting your frequency. All channeling involves an altered state that allows an increase of vibration. Um, I've been doing it for almost 32 years now, and so having that energy in my body uh, so much over decades has been very transformative for my own vibration. And even 10 years before I started channeling Michael, I was continually talking to my spirit guides. And so this has definitely affected uh, my personal energy field. I have to work on the opposite, which is grounding more, being more in my body which is something that many spiritual people do have to work on because we want to balance. It's, there's nothing wrong with the body. There's nothing wrong with being physical. We want to be in balance. We want to be able to be present in our bodies and enjoy our physicality. So the ideal is both. The ideal is to 
have a free-flowing connection with the earth and with all the higher realms of being and to be able to shift focus to wherever is the most practical level to be focusing on right now. That's wonderful. Uh, Shepard, <coughs> do you teach people how to clean their auras? Do I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, could we discuss that a little bit? Because it's a fascinating subject and it's something people can do just like they take a shower. They actually can clean their aura every night before they go to bed. Your consciousness is energy. It's light. And when you bring your consciousness to bear on anything, it raises its vibration. And the more love that is in your consciousness, the more compassion, the more caring, the more non-judgmentalness, the higher the vibration and the more transformative your attention is. Uh, there's a lot of, it, of um, popularity now of mindfulness meditation. And mindfulness is simply letting your attention be on what you're feeling. That is a powerful technique. Um, I work with my own energy field daily. Uh, this is necessary for me because I'm extremely sensitive and because I work with other people constantly. And I've never met a human being whose energy was completely clear. We get our energies all tangled up in other people's fields. And so most of us are carrying around a lot of gunk that isn't even ours. And the great secret of this is that if it's not yours, you can't fix it. <clears throat> Your heart may be in the right place. You may have taken on, say, your mother's sadness because you had compassion for her and you wanted to help your mother and you dearly love her. But she's the only one who can fix it because it belongs to her. You don't have the combination to that lock. You can clean up the energy somewhat and give it back to her. But if she doesn't change her own consciousness, it doesn't stick. And meanwhile, you've burdened yourself with something that is rather futile. So we're always better off sending other people's energies back to them, or if it's just debris energy, it's just um, negative flotsam and jetsam that you've collected that's floating around like chunks of anger or fear or things from the mass consciousness or whatever, then you just want to recycle those. You want to destroy those, break them down into their component elements and send them into the recycling bin in the center of the earth or send them to the sun, whatever. <clears throat> there are a lot of great energy work techniques. My friend Susanna Redolfs is an etheric surgeon. She's a remarkable healer. She's someone that sees the energy field in terms of its, you might say, plumbing and electrical systems. And she goes in with her wrench and her uh, pliers and she um, repairs your energy field. And on her website, which is councilofone.org, that's Council of One, she has a page full of energy work techniques, and I use several of them. I work with Susanna um, generally once a week for a brief tune-up, and that's made a big difference in my life. And she's given me a lot more awareness of my own energy field. There's also a man that I work with named John Friedlander, who is the co-author of four books on psychic development. And he's created a lot of fantastic energy work types of techniques. He teaches 
uh, for example, different ways of grounding for men and women. So female grounding is a totally different technique from male grounding, and this is available uh, in his books. So there's a lot of technique, uh, and then I make up techniques because I've been taught enough techniques from other people that I can just see what I need and I'll just make up something that I know is going to make me feel better. Yeah. Uh, I, su I suffer from chronic insomnia and I often wake up exhausted and not feeling great. And I know that if I do half an hour of energy work on myself, often while I'm taking a walk, uh, I can get myself feeling a lot better. So this is it's a lifesaver for me to have this technique. And if you're already feeling good, you can make yourself feel even a lot better still. So it's worth learning how to do these things. I mentioned grounding earlier, and one of the things that uh, almost everyone can benefit from is working on their grounding. <clears throat> that means, as I define it, uh, becoming aware that you are in a physical body and becoming aware that your body is a part of the body of Mother Earth and flooding your body with the healing energies of the entire earth itself. And instead of putting your consciousness in this isolated um, bag of a, of, of a bubble of consciousness, and when you connect consciously with the earth, remember anything you put your consciousness on is really powerful. When you put your consciousness on the fact that you are a part of earth, it's gonna make your body feel a lot better. It's also going to make your body feel uh, safer to handle higher energies. Because if you don't have that stable foundation and you try to bring in higher energies, it could throw you off balance. That's beautiful. Um, Shepard, have you ever tried sleeping right on the earth? Um, you mean like camping? <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, like camping. I, well, I, I love that. I love the feeling of the earth, but it's not comfortable for me. I do have a, a grounding pad that's plugged in, and I it's subtle, but I really like it. It just makes me feel better to have that. Right, definitely. Um, and you know what? You can ground even if you're in an airplane. You don't have to be physically on the earth because your consciousness is more powerful than your physical reality. And this is one of the great principles of conscious spiritual evolution. And so uh, we live a lifestyle where we're, we're very cut off from the earth. We drive around in these metal boxes called cars that have these rubber tires that actually insulate us from feeling connected to the earth. And we don't walk on the ground. I do try to go walk barefoot at the beach uh, as often as I can, and I really like doing that. But if you are thousands of feet above the ground in an airplane and you bring your consciousness to the earth and you let that energy flow into you, if you can imagine lying down on the earth, that's almost as good as actually lying down on the earth. Maybe not 100% as good, but maybe 80% as good, and it's definitely worth doing. Definitely. Um, Shepard, something that is a fascinating subject, and we touched on it a little bit, but it's the whole subject, which is uh, about psychic attack. Um, and I know that you work with that. Um, I have also, can you, can we address that? Because I do know that some people are experiencing that and are looking for clues. 
I mentioned earlier that almost every human being has their energy tangled up with other people. And this is not healthy. This is not the ideal. It is conducive to karma. And the main reason that we get our fields all entangled with other people is that we're invested in the choices that they make. We want to change them. We want to change their choices. And they want to change us. And none of that is really good for us spiritually. It's good for having experiences. It's especially the kinds of experiences that teach us what not to do. But it doesn't make us happy. <clears throat> and so one of the basic spiritual energy work exercises that I do daily is I send other people's energies back to them. And one way you can do this, there's a lot of technique, but there are a lot of very simple things that you can do without even being particularly psychic or intuitive to start with. And so you can just sit quietly and you can envision a few feet all around you and you can say, inner self, please show me all of other people's energies in my field. Light it up for me. And you may get a visual image, but some people aren't visual. You might just feel it there. You just might know it's there. It doesn't matter how you perceive it as long as you can sense that there's something in there that doesn't belong to you. And then you just sit with it and you just say, okay, I'm aware that this is not me. What does this feel like? What is the emotion of this? And when you feel like you've locked into it, then you say to your inner self, please send all of this back to whoever it belongs to. Now, if you'd like, you can tune into a particular chunk of energy and you can ask to you know, who does this belong to? And often it's the usual suspects. It's mother, father, sister, brother, children. But it could be someone you haven't seen in 50 years. It could be someone who's not alive right now. It could be all the children on the playground when you were in elementary school because you took on some of their energy. And sometimes it's helpful to know who it belongs to. And then you can specifically say, I send it back. But in any case, you can then imagine at your heart that the sun is shining brighter and brighter. This is your essence, your higher self. <clears throat> and you're blasting all the, you're, you're bringing the power of your own consciousness, your own soul to bear like the sun shining and pushing it out and sending it back to who it belongs to. And you will feel better after doing that. And so if you do this daily, you're going to feel better. But you also must learn to respect other people's choices. Because other people are always going to be doing things that you don't agree with, that you wish that they wouldn't do. And maybe they affect you. And you can certainly say, with complete righteousness, um, I would prefer that you not do this because this is, this is how I feel about it. This is how it affects me. That's fine. But pushing too much, trying to control other people is just going to get you karmically involved in other people that's not going to make you happy in the long run. Now, the flip side of this is recognizing the choices that are yours to make. So when you're all busy up in other people's business, 
trying to make their choices for them, you might be neglecting a lot of options that you have that can make your life better. And one of those options is always removing yourself from a negative person. So you don't have to put up with it. Now, I know there are situations where you work for a boss who's very negative and you can't leave the job right now, but you still don't need to take on their energy. You could instead use your power of choice to challenge yourself to um, better communicate something to that person that would be helpful to that person that they would be open to that still isn't trying to control them. So you get used to being aware of what is in your energy field and keeping it clear. If someone else wants to attack you psychically then, which the people do, you know, like someone gets really, really angry at you, they may not consciously think, I'm going to uh, attack you psychically, but they may send out a bolt of lightning like, you know, Apollo on Mount Olympus, and it may sting, and you may feel it. It could be an energy. You know, if you're in the room with someone who's losing their temper and they're screaming at you, you feel that in your energy. That's real. Now, if you have learned to take responsibility for your own energy field and something gets in that isn't yours, that doesn't belong to you, then you just send it back. The reason people have trouble with that is that when negative stuff from outside you comes into you, it triggers your own unresolved anger, fear, and other negative things. This is actually a brilliant opportunity to heal something from your own past. Because if you're being triggered beyond what the current circumstance calls for, so for example, um, someone yells at you, and instead of just seeing that person yelling at you right now, which is unpleasant, granted, but instead all the times that your father yelled at you that were just like that, that you didn't have the maturity at that time to deal with. So then you're flooded with an overreaction. And so if instead of blaming the other person, you say, thank you for triggering this reaction in me so that I could heal it, and you take responsibility for it, you then start working with your inner child. And you say, I know that really hurt when daddy yelled at me. And I want you to understand that it was because he was unhappy, not because he didn't love you. He didn't know how to handle the stress in his life any better. Um, you can feel angry at him for doing that. Let's, let's work with that for a minute. Feel the anger, feel it burn off. Okay, and now let's see if we can forgive him and realize that just because he yelled at you doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you, that you're beautiful, I love you, you're perfect. And so you heal that. And then you find the next time someone like that person loses his temper and yells, you're calmer because there's less reaction. And eventually you learn to just observe other people's choices without taking any of it personally. You observe what they're doing and it's like you're playing a chess game. I know this sounds coldly intellectual, but it really isn't. You're bringing all of your faculties to bear to simply help you make a good choice. And so someone's yelling, and maybe you notice yourself still being a little upset by it, so you observe that. But you're focused on how can I practice the art of living here to choose the best possible words and actions 
to improve this situation, not just for myself, but for everyone. And so I quietly listen to the other person. I sense maybe what the deeper issues are with that person. And I wonder, what can I say that will help things the most? What would be the most loving gift I can give this person rather than me because I'm all entangled with that person just being defensive and reacting? So much of human interaction, all the bickering that most people go in, especially with the people that they love the most and they're closest to, which is kind of ridiculous. A lot of the bickering is, is you trigger me and I trigger you and then you trigger me again and I trigger you and it's just bouncing back and forth. And that can be seen in the energy field. There's this horrible tangle uh, of being in each other's faces. And so if you can step back and you can just give love to the other person and love to yourself and simply make a choice that will be beneficial, you start to pull out of that entanglement. And this is what the uh, teachers for thousands of years have referred to as getting off the karmic wheel. So the karmic wheel is you do something to me, so I do something back at you. And because I did something back at you, you get mad. And you don't put it together that I was just reacting to something you had done. You do something bad to me again. And then I do something bad back at you. And it doesn't end. And this is why we have war after war after war after war. Because no one stops to take responsibility and say, okay, I'm going to heal this. That's beautiful, Shepard. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I want to tell everyone about your beautiful website, shepherdhoodwin.com. That's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-H-O-O-D-W-I-N.com. And you have a ton of offerings that you have there. Um, and I want to go over all of them. Uh, so many things. Let's talk about your books first. You are an amazing writer. Um, not only what you write about, but you're so skilled in how you express yourself. I absolutely love uh, the, the way you write. Um, you've edited some things I've written, and I've been like, oh, wow, that's a great way to phrase that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, I'm, not, I'm a writer, but I'm not, I'm not that kind of writer. So let's, um, can you share your books with us? My magnum opus is called Journey of Your Soul, A Channel Explores the Michael Teachings. And um, it's about the Michael charts. I've channeled over 10,000 Michael charts in almost 32 years now. And these are our soul profiles. If you go to my website, you can see a sample chart and a sample explanation of what it all means. And Journey of Your Soul goes into a great deal of detail about almost every item on the Michael chart. It explains how we as eternal souls chose to come to earth, how we set up our lifetimes, how we grow, how we evolve. It discusses karma. It also discusses things like parallel universes, um, how huge we actually are as beings, that we are not just this person that we are in this lifetime, which is just a tiny sliver of our whole being. So I think it gives you a sense of the vastness of creation and it helps us to understand other people that they're acting out of their overleaps, their Michael chart, their chosen traits for this lifetime and for this series of lifetimes. And so it gives us insight into not only why we are the way we are, 
but why other people are the way they are, and we get skills for engaging with them. And most importantly, we get a vocabulary for growing spiritually, for how we can be in the positive poles of our traits and avoid the negative poles of our traits, how we can learn to have more joy in our life and less pain. So that is uh, my book on the Michael teachings. I've also um, have four books that are compilations of channeling that are not about the Michael charts. They're not about the technical Michael teachings, but they're more uh, lectures and uh, private counseling about spiritual growth in general. In that way, maybe they're a little bit more like the Seth books in that when you read them, it puts you into an altered state and they're not really addressed to your intellect. They're more addressed to your consciousness that you get a feeling from reading them. You can get lifted up into a higher state. Uh, there are four titles so far in that series. They are called Growing Through Joy, Opening to Healing, Being in the World, and my favorite is Loving from Your Soul, Creating Powerful Relationships. Loving from Your Soul was once in print. Uh, it's not anymore. Uh, all of my books will eventually come back into print as print on demand, but I haven't done that yet. But everything is available in Kindle, and a couple of the books are available in other uh, formats. If you go to my website and click the books tabs, you'll see all 12 of my books. I'm especially proud of my humor collection, which is called Enlightenment for Nitwits, The Complete Guide, uh, which um, was uh, maybe a 10-year project writing, and um, I'd love to share that with more people. I've and read that. What do you think? It's fun. It's very fun. I also have a collection of guided meditations that I channeled not from Michael, but from my essence, my higher self. It's called um, Meditations for Self-Discovery. We have 45 guided meditations that are pastoral and quite imaginative and beautiful. And you can use these for your own meditations, but if you lead any groups, they're excellent to read to a group to take the group into an inner exploration. Wow. That's wonderful. Um, we've talked a lot about the Michael teachings and, the, and I'd like to talk about the Michael charts that you do. You did one for me, which is at my website, spiritofthedawn.com. I believe yours is at your website for people to look at. And it's comprehensive. Wow. It is just amazing. Um, you do them all the time. What is it like doing a Michael chart for someone? What's that experience like at your end? I love doing the charts because they're so useful. If I did nothing else, I would want to keep doing the Michael charts because um, it can be life-changing information. It can put so much into perspective for people. And the study of your Michael chart can progress over years. You, they keep yielding new insights into your life. I've been I've had my chart for, as I said, almost 32 years, and I'm still getting ahas about, oh my God, yeah, I never thought of that correlation before. And I teach workshops um, using the Michael charts as, as a basis for that. Uh, I have four workshops coming up in Europe. Uh, in July, I'll be doing one in Zurich, one in Vienna, one in Mainz, Germany, and uh, an advanced one in Freiburg, Germany. 
And people just love exploring this material. It just explains so much about ourselves that nothing else uh, explains. So the channeling of the charts itself happens uh, on the computer using a, a Mac database program called FileMaker Pro. Mm -hmm. And I spent about a total of 35 hours crafting this form, which is part of the database. And so when I'm channeling Michael, uh, I have a photograph of the person whose chart I'm doing. They give me their birth information, their full name. And so when I come to do their chart, I look at their picture and Michael locks in on the soul. This is the soul whose chart we're, we're going to look up right now. And it really just is, it's a very quick thing now because I've been doing it for so long. Once they're sure that, yes, um, we, we have Caroline Ra in the Akashic Records, then they start dictating it. And the way that happens for me, and every channel works differently, so I'm only speaking for myself here, is I already have the, the list of possibilities in the database. So for example, there are seven soul types. These are the seven roles. You and I are sage souls. So I'm going down the list, server, priest, artisan, sage. And then when, when I come across sage, I get this surge of energy that, oh, sage is Caroline's role. And then I'll double check it. I'll go, that was sage, right? And they'll shake my head a little bit. And then I say, okay, that's my double check. I go on and then I have a drop down menu for the positive and negative poles of sage, which I then uh, click. And then I go to the next item and I go down the list. If it's a number, let's say one, from one to a hundred, I'll go 10, 20, 30, 40, 40, 41, 42. Okay. It's 42, right? Okay. And um, it's got, it's gotten to be very fast, but it was very, very painstakingly slow at the beginning. That's neat. Well, I love my chart, I, um, which can, is explored in the other podcasts that we, the other interviews that we did. Uh, okay. Now, intuitive reading, mediumship, animals, healing work, guides, you can connect people with people who they want to connect with or animals. Um, animals probably here and animals who are gone already. Um, yes. That's yes, such a lovely service. I do yeah. do animal communication as part of my intuitive reading sessions. It is not my area of expertise, but questions will come up in a session. And I have, it has been validated that it's accurate. Yes, that's, you know, that, that fits with, with what I know about that animal. Also with mediumship, communicating with deceased loved ones. I like doing those sessions. I like practicing it. There are people who specialize in that, who are better at it than I am but I do occasionally do those, those kinds of sessions. It's sometimes just what happens in a session also is sure, someone yes. comes to explain. It's very healing, very, very healing. Yes. Um, now the energy work that happens during one of your sessions, um, I'm looking forward to experiencing that someday. <laughs> that must be amazing uh, what people experience on an energetic level. Um, yes. Yeah, the Michael sessions, Michael, Michael is definitely the big guns when it comes to energy healing. The, the energy that comes through me is so intense that I can only do it a few times a week. And I have to be very careful about that because I don't want to blow out my body. Right. But they've taught me so much about healing energy and opening to energy that 
it's now rubbed off so that all the sessions I do, I'm always looking at the energy, I'm coaching people. I remember, you know, about 25 years ago, I had a friend who is a remarkable healer and he was moving his hands around and doing all this stuff and I could feel it, but I didn't know how the heck he was doing it. Like, what are you seeing? What is it? But gradually I figured it out and I've started to see that it's something that happens in your consciousness. And you just, you tune in and you use your will not to manipulate. You never want to manipulate another person's energy field, but just to offer to be helpful, to, to, to help them do what they want to do. Uh, and so I, I mentioned that because there are people who are born with this knowledge who are really good channels. They can channel, they can heal or whatever. And they started doing it in childhood. And I was not one of those people. Uh, I may have had latent skills that I didn't, maybe I had done things in past lives that I didn't remember. But a lot of my abilities have come through practice, a little bit at a time, a little evolution just from working with the ability that I had, uh, I got a little bit more. And I have seen people who started off being quite insensitive to energies, who just through paying attention got better and better and better at it. So don't write yourself off if this is not something that comes easily to you, but you have an interest in it, you can develop it. Just as maybe, you know, you weren't born as a child prodigy pianist, but if you practice, you will get better. Yeah, definitely. And um, definitely practicing is very important. And uh, uh, gratitude for those you're working with also is very important, uh, those in spirit and those here. Yes. Um, what is the benefit? And I know they are numerous and uh, extensive, but what is the benefit of understanding uh, your coexisting or other lifetimes, past life regressions? Uh, I call them coexisting lives. What are the benefits that someone can receive from exploring that world? There are a lot of benefits uh, from it. Uh, probably the most important one, and this comes up the most when I do past life therapy is that if you have an issue that is not being resolved by looking at this lifetime, your childhood, your parents, whatever, then it makes a lot of sense to explore past life issues. Generally, I find uh, we are each working with uh, an average of six past lives that have had similar issues to what we're working on in this lifetime. They don't have to have been the last six lifetimes you had before this one, because your various lifetimes, you could stretch back thousands of years, may cluster around themes that are not necessarily in consecutive order. But let's say, uh, let's say you're a woman who is constantly attracting the wrong kind of men. And maybe in this lifetime, her father was really a pretty nice guy. So why is she doing that? She may want to look at past lifetimes to figure out what she's trying to resolve. And sometimes if you become consciously aware of a story of what happened to you in another lifetime, your subconscious can go, oh, wait a minute, I get it. That's not happening now. That was then. But I've been reacting to it as if it were in current time. Oh, good. I can just forgive that person and move on. I can... I now realize what it is. And that can be very powerful. 
Uh, let's say you have a phobia, you have a fear of flying, and then you realized you were in a plane crash in your last lifetime and you died. Well, no wonder you have a fear of flying. But again, if you can say <coughs> that was then and it's not now, you can release it. So it can be a very powerful healing tool. But I also like to use past life therapy to help people recognize their gifts. Like, okay, you might, let's say in this lifetime, you're kind of shy, you're not very sociable. If you can remember a lifetime in which you were more gregarious and outgoing and that you have that within you, it can really inspire you. Or let's say you've had a miserable lifetime with a lot of trauma. If you can remember a lifetime in which you were really happy, this can remind you of that potential. Um, where maybe you weren't always having to work on yourself and that it came more easily. Or let's say you always wanted to play piano, but you just felt really blocked. If you can remember a lifetime in which you were playing piano quite well, you can maybe bring some of that skill into the current lifetime more easily. That's beautiful. We have had an amazing time today talking with Shepard Hoodwin. I invite you to visit shepherdhoodwin.com. There you can learn more about ordering his books and his many offerings, the Michael charts that he does, plus intuitive readings, past life regressions, channeling coaching, and upcoming events. Uh, the events in Europe are in, uh, that we talked about are in July of 2018, and I believe you do have some openings still. Yes, uh, there's plenty of room in Mainz, Germany, and some room in Vienna. The other two workshops are full. Great, great. Shepard, I'm hoping that you can share some closing words of wisdom with us today. You suggested that I ask my guides what would be a good closing words. And I'm getting that I should bring back the subject of grounding. A lot of people are blocked in their grounding. They refuse to ground because in their subconscious, they associate grounding with connecting with the ugliness of the world of humanity. This is not an accurate correlation, but people often want to get as far away from Earth as possible because of all the ugly, nasty things they hear in the news. They hear the word Donald Trump and they immediately leave their body because they don't want to be here. But what grounding really is, is connecting with nature in a beautiful, healthy way. Grounding does not make you earthbound. It does not make you encased in cement. It just makes you connected with what is going to make your human body feel good and feel happy. And so if you can explore what you think of when the word grounding comes up and change that to connecting with this beautiful eternal earth energy that is entirely healing and positive, you're going to have a lot less resistance to grounding and you're going to be a lot happier in your body. You don't have to leave. I think the whole um, core of what Michael teaches us and what many teachers teach us is that we're here to be here. We're not here to get away. There's so many people are using meditation and other spiritual practices to try to get away from being human. They're in denial of being human. And even so many of the mainstream religions teach people to feel ashamed of bodily functions and sexuality and that sort of thing. 
No, we came here precisely to be sexual, to be in physical bodies, to sweat and to, to eat and to defecate and to urinate and, and to kiss and hug and, and work and play. Everything about being physical is exactly what is going to give us the most growth. Now, it can also be useful to have the ability to have out-of-body experiences and to be aware of the higher realms. But the purpose of that is not just to get the hell out of here. It's to bring a more full-bodied experience to being here. And I know this has been a difficult and slow lesson for me. I'm still learning this one. But Spirit wanted me to also share that with our listeners. Oh, that was tremendously beautiful and very helpful. Oh, wow. I just love spending time with you, Shepard. Thank you so dearly for being here with all of us. Thank you. My pleasure. Let's do it again soon. I'd like that. Deep gratitude to Brian, Zach, and Synergy for the use of their song, Embrace the Change. I thank all of you for joining with us today, and I invite you to visit spiritofthedawn.com for more inspirational interviews. Sending love from my home to yours, I am Theadian Emissary of Life, Caroline Rollins.